think of a better place to end the street in Death Valley, South Carolina, baby. Guys going down, guys stepping up. That's what football is all about. And they say we can't do it. What they say now. Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. Clemson is 500 for the first time in seven years. Dave Doran, kind of still a D-bag, and life ain't good. Welcome back, everybody. I'm your host, Nick, joined tonight by Ben. We are the Clemson Podcast, and this is our NC State recap and continuation of the Clemson fandom therapy episode. Ben, first time since we started recording this show that Clemson has been essentially eliminated from the college football playoff during the regular season. How are you holding up? Yep. Uh, well, right there Tully, I don't know what the is going on. Um, it's weird. That's for sure. I mean, for those of us who are old enough to remember um, Clemson football prior to 2015, you know, we felt like this before, but um, we've never felt like this, which with such high expectations and, uh, you know, so much talent and so many highly paid coaches um, you know, all on the field together. So, um, it's broken right now. I mean, that's all you can say. It's broken on offense and now the offense broke our damn defense. So that's where we stand. Um, and you just got to hope for incremental improvement over the rest of the year. Some tough decisions need to be made. And if they're not, uh, we might find ourselves back here again next year. Yeah. Yeah. Right there with you. Through all of that, I think incremental gains the rest of the season is interesting. I would say, hey, uh, for those who tune into this show to get an in-depth series-by-series recap at NC State, you're going to walk away disappointed. We'll touch on that show. We'll kind of touch on the season to date and the rest of the year and goals for the team, expectations, all that. I think it's important not to lose sight of uh, enjoying college football, enjoying the season. There's still... Still plenty of that remaining. And, you know, look, we, we all spend too much time in the off season, like, you know, pining for the year to be here to wipe all that away um, just based on how this season has started. Um, and there's definitely still things to play for and progress and improvement that you can see on the team. Um, agree with you there. But Ben, I think last show after Georgia tech where really you and I sat in these same chairs and tried to look at, look on this team, what adjustments could still be made to salvage this season, turn things around. Let's try not to focus as much on sort of how we got here or broader after this season, things that need to change. And we did that. I feel like, you know, here and there, we touched on things like recruiting and development, uh, coaching, et cetera. I would say for this show, you're probably going to hear a lot more of those larger macro things um, than, you know, in-depth analysis or what needs to be turned around. We should acknowledge Clemson could still win the ACC this year. Like that is still on the table, winning the Atlantic. We'd all love to see this team go for number seven in a row. I think regardless of that, beating South Carolina is pretty much a must at this point, just for 
uh, for pride, if nothing else. Um, but with that said, I think it's, it's really at this point with the college football playoff all but eliminated time as fans to kind of reflect on how we got here and like what needs to happen moving forward to, like you said, not be in this same situation 12 months from now. Yeah. And listen, Dabo is going to tell the guys you're, you know, two of your goals or three of your goals are still on the table. That's win the state, win the division and win the ACC. The playoff is out of the question at this point. Um, and I'll be honest, the ACC is out of the question at this point. Really, the only thing that I, I think we have left to look forward to is being South Carolina. There's just been no indication from what we've seen through four games that they're going to be able to fix things on offense. And now, like, half our defense is hurt. Granted, the guys that have come in and backed them up have, have played amazing. Um, they just got worn down in this game because the offense is so inept. Like, it's dysfunctional, and I haven't seen dysfunction like that in a very, very long time. I mean, to go like, what was it, like seven or eight three and outs in a row after that second drive of the game? Like, wh- when's the last time Clemson has done that? Um, and, it, and it doesn't make any sense. This, the, the offense is filled with four- and five-star guys, and this is the product you see on the field. Um, and I'll tell you right now, it, it's all in the coaching staff. It all goes back to the coaching staff. Um, when they say things aren't translating from – practice to the field that's coaching um when guys aren't you know putting an effort blocking on the edge that's coaching um when your offensive line has been this bad for this long now that's on coaching penalties penalties on coaching that's that is the hallmark of an undisciplined team and that goes back to coaching and it really rubs me the wrong way that Dabo can't accept criticism you know for all the great things about him uh one of his biggest character flaws is he doesn't handle criticism well and his, um, you know, especially after a loss, it seems like his go-to is to start criticizing fans um, instead of the team. Now, I don't expect him to air all the dirty laundry of the team out in the open. But, you know, if you're the CEO of a 500, a Fortune 500 company, and you're stocked, your quarter earnings are terrible because of, uh, you know, you did a poor job and made some mistakes. You don't get mad at the shareholders for being mad, right, and being upset. So... Um, it's, it's part of the position. He makes almost $10 million a year, handle criticism better. You know, you're a grown man. Um, now something else, Ben. Yeah. Just to that, that last point I want to make, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, a little bit of what that's doing and what I've seen is there's a little bit of division right now in the fan base as well. And it's a little bit of siding with almost what I would call like blind, blind allegiance to the coaching staff and to the program and saying like, look, you guys don't know how good it's been uh, or how good it's been and how bad we had it in the Tommy West, Tommy Bowden era, Ken Hatfield era. Um, you guys are spoiled. Uh, you, you guys, you know, clearly don't appreciate this era that we've had and all of that stuff. And I, I, I just disagree with that. I think, um, yeah, just, I don't know. There's, there's a lot you can unpack from that, but I, I don't know. I, I just think like Dabo kind of chiming in with that. It, it does create a little bit of an either you're with us or against this thing. And I mean, I don't think most fans are expecting anything unrealistic here or unreasonable um, other than accountability for what we've seen so far. Well, because all the, all, all the tools are there, right. Um, to be better to be at least competent on offense, be not the hundred and something ranked offense in the country. And I think Dabo needs to take more accountability for that. Um, Now, don't get me wrong. 
I'm also one of the people that is like, listen, look at what he's done for this program. And to um, give up on that now after one bad season and think that he can't turn things around and make a difference, he can. Um, well, let's be clear, Ben. We're not – okay. Well, I won't say we're not. Um, I would hope fans can can parse and acknowledge all that Dabo's done and say, like, he has more than earned the opportunity or the benefit of the doubt to say – to be able to acknowledge his own mistakes and from this point make an adjustment without whomever dictating what that ought to be, be it Dan Radakovich or anybody else. Um to come in and be like, all right, Dabo, you know, we cannot tolerate going two and two or like, let's say we end this season eight and four or like seven and what, seven and seven and five. Um, I Dabo's beyond earned, you know, the, the cloud to this point to be able to make the move from here. But I think it's still fair though, for fans to be able to question kind of how we've gotten to this point and and landed in a spot. And unfortunately what a year like this does 2021 doesn't exist in a vacuum. It is not just all of a sudden everything was going great in the program and this landed in our laps. You know, there's kind of some signs in the last couple of years and we've talked about them and, you know, I won't belabor it. I'll flip it back to you here. But um, anyway, what I'll say is like Dabo's definitely earned the, the opportunity to, at this point, you know, continue to drive the direction of this program. And I think he's made some pretty, you know, he's made a few questionable comments. I think you, you pointed at, uh, at the commentary about fans. I do think he's earnestly made comments in his radio show this evening, and you may not have reviewed the transcript of that, but um, he acknowledged once again, some hard decisions he decided to make as a coach right. and how he's made some mistakes, but also made some really good decisions. And he more or less said, reading between the lines, if he needed to, he would move on from a quote unquote friend the caller's words, not Dabo's words, you know, if that decision needed to be made. And I think that's, that's something I was looking for from, from some of his comments. And the last thing I'm going to say on this truly is coaches in these media programs are not going to give you the full picture. They're not going to just be completely out in the open, open and be fully honest about their feelings or about their intentions. It continues to be a game and you know, Dabo puts the wrong message out there right now. That is used to negatively recruit against Clemson. That damages the program and the brand. Um, if the wrong message, even if it is what we all want to hear, and even if it is the truth, and even if it is his true feelings, he's got to play kind of a cautious game right now. And I acknowledge that. I think we need to judge Dabo on his actions moving forward and not necessarily on his words in these pressers. But if you see his body language and read between the lines a little bit on the sidelines, on how he looks Saturday, on how he's looked the last couple of days. This guy is, he's in, he's in turmoil right now. And um, I, I, I have faith and trust that that is going to translate into the, the necessary changes to turn this thing around. Um, but I, all that said, I still think we got to ask these questions. He's done it before. I mean, he did it firing Billy Napier and bringing in Chad Morris and firing Kevin Steele and bringing in Brent Venables. And look what happened after that. Like all everything went up after that. And it can certainly happen again. And I totally believe he would do that again. And he'll make the necessary changes needed. Now, there's some there's some nuance to how things are probably going to play out specifically with Tony Elliott that we can get into. Um, And I totally agree with everything you said. 
I'm just saying, why, why are you dragging the fans into it? Even though we all know there's only a certain like fraction, you call them bandwagon fans, a certain like small fraction of the, of the population of fans. Listen, we're, we're, we're entitled to be angry, like or upset at what we see on the field. They are too. Um, but when it's only such a, like a small fraction of the fan base, like why even bring them up? That's, that's sticking in his craw, right? That's, that's getting to him and it shouldn't. Um, now, of course, it, it, there are some fans out there that are part of the problem too. You know, all the ones that pop up with new uh, message board handles right after a loss and comment for the first time in their lives. Right. What are you doing with yourself? Take a, take a, you know, take a look in the mirror. Um, but I don't know. That just rubs me the wrong way. How, how he talks about that. Um, and, and he's brought that up. This isn't the first time um, the South Carolina game a few years ago where we give up all those points comes to mind. Um, so, I mean, I, I agree with, with your part. I think you put it very well. Um, he has to maintain an image, uh, over the program. He's not going to air all the dirty laundry. We, I don't want him to do that, but just be a little more, um, own it a little more instead of, you know, bringing the fans into the mix. I mean, every, I mean, the only fan base that yeah. is completely comfortable with mediocrity or worse or South Carolina fans. <laughs> Sorry. You're we're not going. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God we're not them. And you know what? Like that, I'm sure he acknowledges that too. Like, you know, you, you set a high standard and fans want to hold you to that. Like that's, that's the, the a word accountability. Right. So you're like um, the what second highest paid coach in college football. Yeah. And the staff's really high, well paid as well. So um, that's okay. And like, I do want to acknowledge the kind of uh, the commentary from fans about, man, you, you don't know how we had it back in the day, like back in Ken Hatfield and Tommy West and Tommy Bowden, Clemson was not on the radar in terms of talent, facilities, staff, payroll, head coach, payroll, uh, immediate track record that you're building off of. There was no slide. None of those things. None of those things are the same. No slide, no mini golf course. Um, you know, the paw was in a different location on the shoulder pads and the, you know, on, on the jerseys, like it's all different, like, right? We're like hideous combinations of purple. Right. No doubt. So, um, it, it's just, yeah, it's kind of disingenuous to be like, Oh, I mean, what, like w- the word I want to use for that kind of commentary is expectations. Yes. Expectations are higher right now. Are they reasonable? You tell me top four team in the country by way of talent top two by way of staff payroll top two or three um yes i think they should be different i think we should be able to expect that and of course we lost talent of course trevor lawrence travis Etienne, key playmakers at the wide receiver and running back position um i mean i never thought i'd say this like we miss cade stewart man like there's a lot of talent to move on i was thinking I think about question, that too <laughs> I yeah like, who would have thought but like but like that didn't just happen. You know, we didn't just have random NFL departures on this team. Those things happen. You got to plan the roster, you know, for, for years in advance for that to be able to happen. And that is the kind of thing that I think it's, it's valid and questioning. It's like, yes, we have expectations. Why do we have those? And also, you know, why do we find ourselves in the position where these things happen and why expectations aren't met? And I'm sure we're going to get into all that stuff here. But I, to, to question people's kind of loyalty as fans or the mere fact that you can question things, uh, that we're, we're sports fans here, man. That's, that's what it's all about. It's what we do. We're emotional. 
or knee jerk reaction. I mean, so here's the thing. And this is in part why we wait a couple of days to, to post these shows after the games is because I like to go back, rewatch the game, read some of the articles and just let my emotions set and have a clear mind and come away from it um, with a little more practical mindset. Right. Yeah. And perspective I, of a couple of days. Yeah, ex- exactly. And I was able to do that after the first three games. It didn't really like it didn't really happen after this one because of just what we saw. Like it was so atrocious the the offensive play on that on the field and it's it's wasting a really good defense like is was it better than the 2018 defense or could it have been if it you know stayed healthy i don't know but they look pretty damn good out there across all levels of the defense and the depth um and that look at the coaching staff brent venables that side of the ball They've been able to come back from a lack of depth at certain positions. They've built that back up. They had guys that could step in when Tyler Davis and Brian Perse go down, uh, when James Skowski goes out, and those guys come with a mindset, and they're putting it all on the line. The offense, you're not seeing the same thing, and they're putting in the, de- the defense in a position to, to struggle and to get injuries for as many 90-plus plays that were out there on the field. Um, and if I'm Brent Venables, I'd be pissed. Like, don't worry. I mean, maybe don't worry about whether or not Tony Elliott's going to be here next year. Is this the season that Brent Venables decides, okay, it's time to move on to a head coaching gig? Has anybody thought about that? It'll be without both coordinators next year. So um, it's not good. Um, uh, ben, but, yeah. we lose Venables. That's, uh, that's it. <laughs> I, I mean, it's not definitely it, but man, that's a backslide. That's a potential backslide. It's a potential backslide. But um, I don't want to like speak, you're bringing speak it up doesn't ca- mean it's going to happen. I don't want to yeah. catastrophize uh, catastrophe. However you say that word catastrophe eyes <laughs> um, catastrophize um, catastrophe. Anyways, it's a verb now. Yeah, I'll, I'll look it up on the dictionary here and audibly don't yeah. have to say it. Anyways, um, you know, I don't want to. Th- act like everything's a catastrophe right now because it's not yeah like, and Dabo can pull this back together he's done it before he brought this program from kind of the low points of the Tommy Bowden into the Tommy Bowden era and quickly turned this thing around to six playoff appearances in a row two national championship wins four appearances so he's certainly capable of doing that I'm just saying you got to you know, think about these other factors of how it could look next year now what fans need to do is they need to get behind this team. They need to get behind these players and root them on for the rest of the season because they're out there putting it all on the line. They're, they're playing their ass off. They're risking injury um, to go out there and try to improve. And we need to get behind them and pull for them to do that. Plus one to that. I would say too, Ben, I'm, we, we touched on it in passing last week, saying if Clemson suffers a second loss, particularly – early on in the season, next couple games, lo and behold, we did. You were going to start to see potentially a different makeup of guys starting to see playing time on the field. You may start to see more of the youth movement come into play. And look, it's there aren't enough snaps on the offense for us to really be able to tell the difference between what Dakari Collins and Bo Collins taking snaps for Joe Gata and Frank Latson, right? Or, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily know on offense how you get more of the youth guys in on the snaps, but um, across the, across the board, you may end up starting to see that. I, I mean, you tell me, Ben, do you think we'll see a game where Clemson wins by three, four scores the rest of the way against UConn? Um, all right. 
you know, that might be the game. Um, the, even a Syracuse is looking like a, a rejuvenated defense. And how many points do they need to score to keep that a one point or a one score game with Clemson they're, at this point? Outside of UConn, they're all losable at this point. Like they're yeah, all losable. And that is not something we should be saying about this football team. Um, and it's, it's a huge failure on the part of the offensive coaching staff. Tiger Illustrated uh, commented in an article today um, about some rumblings they heard during the summer workouts, how the defensive guys were in there putting in the effort, always there. The offensive guys, the wide receivers, not so much. Um, again, that goes back to coaching. Coaching on the offensive side of the ball is the problem. The defensive side of the ball is amazing. Um, great coaching and leadership stats, too, great right? Production, leadership. Um, you're not getting down on the offensive side of the ball, so I think it's time for a shakeup. Uh, yeah, it's it's not going to happen during the middle of the season unless this. I mean, well, maybe it will if it continues to go so far downhill. But my my estimation, and and rightly so for Dabo, he's got loyalty to Tony Elliott. He's a good friend. You know, Tony Elliott has put off job interviews in December the past several years uh, so he could focus on this football team um, and be all in as the offensive coordinator. Well, <laughs> he's not going to have to wait to January this year. Um, but I think that's one reason you're going to see Dabo keep him all the way is because he wants to at least leave Tony in that position to, to finish out the season and then start taking his interviews. And I just think he's just too loyal um for that and honestly at this point i'm not sure how much good it does because if you're going to bring in a new off offensive coordinator next year anywhere um anyways what's the point of like having streeter do the play calls um on a temporary basis to, to finish out the season like i just i don't see a reason to do yeah. that so i think he keeps them all on board um they finish out the season and we'll go from there but um elliot obviously on the hot seat uh, Tyler Grisham with what we've seen out of the wide receivers. Robbie Caldwell, obviously. Um, I think I made the mistake last show of saying Danny Pierman was the tight ends coach. He's not anymore, obviously. It's Tony Elliott. Um, and Pierman's that, been in charge of the transfer portal. How's that been going? <laughs> Why? <laughs> we don't take transfers. Yeah. Oh, man. It's just – it's it's silly. And Dabo's going to have to adjust, much like Nick Saban did, do some things he doesn't want to. Nick Saban did it with his offense. Dabo's going to have to do it with the transfer portal. Uh, but I still think that he has the, we should give him the benefit of the doubt that he'll come around to that. Now, his responses to those questions so far has not been what we want to hear. Um, and it doesn't keep us, you know, being competitive with the major powerhouses if we, we're not doing the same things they are. But I mean, what happens if, you know, all these stars we got on offense this year, they're unhappy with the season and they transfer away to a, to an Alabama or Ohio state in the off season. What are we left with? So. Um, yeah, there's going to be only going to be so many, so many takes you can have from high school ranks uh, to I, be able to produce. I think that a couple of things have happened in the landscape of college football that does not set up well for how Davo likes to offer, operate and built a program. That's the transfer portal and NIL, right? Two clear things that are um, in conflict with his philosophy, but he's going to have to change that philosophy and adapt if he wants to remain successful. And you've already sort of opened up a little bit on a couple of areas that I wanted to touch on and, um, I think it's kind of worth reflecting a little bit on sort of what led to 2021 looking the way it has, at least offensively and transfer portals, part of it. I think coaching staff's part of it too. Um, 
you know, you could also talk about lack of development of player talent, the guys that we have brought in, um, not being able to take that next step. And that is where you kind of ask yourself, okay, this is the third year in their program for Frank Latson, Joe and Gata. Um, DJ's second full year on campus. Have we really seen him progress in certain ways? Um, lack of development is different from scheme, d- different from deploying that talent that you have in a creative way or being able to get the most out of them. Um, and yeah, there's another factor that coaching can't necessarily, um, you know, control, which is just players not executing. Now you can talk about drills, talk about them having discipline in the off season to kind of learn the stuff, develop cohesion as a group. And then maybe that sorts out some of the lack of execution happening. Uh, but I think a lot of that stuff does, does come back to coaching and, um, I don't know that having a bunch of former Clemson players and kind of the same Clemson hive mind in the coaching staff and not really introducing much outside creativity uh, or, or new ideas. I don't know how much of that plays into lack of player development or, you know, the, the lack of discipline to execute. Um, but I, I, I think some, some changes needed there. And Dabo has kind of talked about wanting to have a mix on the coaching staff and they have, they just haven't done that on the offense. And to me, that's needed. I think we can probably expect change to that effect. Um, I want to get us to a point in this conversation, Ben, where we talk about our own ideas for what that could end up looking like. Um, clearly, what Dabo respects, appreciates, and values is the the Clemson family. And he trusts Clemson guys. They generally guys that he coached and had an opportunity to be around in the program when he was more of an assistant. Um, there's that, there's that understanding of how things get done at Clemson that way. So I don't wonder if Tony Elliott does move on to become a head coach. Let's say Robbie Caldwell moves on. He retires. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see. Or he, yeah, moves on in the form of retirement. I think it, it may be that moment. Um, the idea I want to throw out there, what about Willie Korn over at Coastal Carolina? The prodigal son returns. A little bit of a disappointment in terms of injury and other factors leading to his playing career, not, not panning out how we all once had hoped he's doing a great job at coastal Carolina. And I cannot see very much longer their head coach sticking around at coastal. I think that guy's due to get poached. Is that an opportunity bring back someone that's in the Clemson, you know, Clemson family tree, bring in new concepts, new ideas, coastal Carolina are innovators. They're number two in the country now by way of explosive plays as a percentage of total. Uh, granted, you know, they're, they're playing a group of five schedule in the Sun Belt. Um, but yeah, Willie Korn for OC, if Tony Elliott moves on, that's my, that's what I'm getting behind. See, I think you take, you know, your 1.2, 1.5 mil and go out there and get a proven guy. I, I mean, I think we're at that level that, that we should be able to do that. And as inept as the offense looks this year, I'm not sure that bringing in at this, bringing in a Willie Korn, uh, another former Clemson player, a guy with not a huge ton of experience coaching. Um, that that sets you up for more failure if that doesn't go well, right? You have to stru- you have to really there's more luck involved in that hire and it going well. Not to say he's not going to be a great offensive coordinator, um, maybe a great head coach one day, but that would be my dead bulls advocate take on that statement. Um, and it's, and then from the fan base, you're going to get the same rumbling. So we're just replacing these, uh, Clemson guys with, with more Clemson guys. So what, yeah, I, I think my angle is a little bit more 
are we really going to see Dabo go full bore, go outside the program? And to what extent does that go? I like, I think I'm right there with you. I don't think you can get a guy like Joe Moorhead, for instance, who's now at Oregon. He was just a head coach at Mississippi state replaced by Mike Leach. Um, the best coordinators, not sure if they'll be the right fit, et cetera. So um, I'd be curious who'd be on your short list for that, but you know, just thinking about Dabo's thought process, what might be more from a likelihood standpoint. But the question I was going to say is if you do kind of hand the reins to a complete outsider, you letting him call the shots on all of those assistant coaching positions, then O-line, what about quarterback coach, receiver coach, and running back coach? Are those guys going to be going to be out of a job as well? Uh, So with, with CJ Spiller and Brandon Streeter. So CJ Spiller first year coaching the running back position in the offensive line is terrible. I don't know how you can judge other than just being there to practice every day, knowing how good of a job he's doing. Um, and then with Brandon Streeter, you know, he had Trevor Lawrence. So what do we really know from that? He's got DJ now, but I still maintain like if we have an offensive line that can block and wide receivers who commit to blocking on the edge, DJ looks a hell of a lot better, a hell of a lot better. I'm not, I, I don't, he's not just sitting back there in the pocket, standing around and dancing, um, not knowing what to do. It's because guys aren't getting open. The only guy that gets open is Justin Ross and Joe Ngata occasionally. Uh, tight ends aren't involved in the pass catching game. You've seen nothing from EJ Williams or Frank Latson this year. Um, guys aren't getting separation and, and we can't run anything to the outside because they're not blocking out there. And again, this is all you talk about fundamentals and effort. Blah, 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 coaching, 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 coaching. Um, that's what it all comes back down to. So I, I think maybe you could say Streeter. Um, and Streeter does have a good pedigree um, calling play calls at, at Richmond. Um, CJ Spiller, obviously, like he's one of the most beloved players in, in Clemson football history. So well, Spiller, Spiller and a running back coach, that's recruiting, right? Like yeah. that, that could be his primary duty and function on this team. Of course, we need to see running back development. And I think where CJ could help is in the passing game and, um, you know, just helping guys, helping hopefully a future five-star recruit come in and um, adapt to life on campus and that sort of thing as a coach. Um, so, yeah, no, we we should not judge any result happening this year. Um, judge CJ Spiller for that. And to go back to Streeter real quick. Definitely, there are some mechanical things with DJ that one could point to and say that ought to be better coming in here in his second year. But Ben, how much time in practice is DJ trying to adapt to having a lackluster offensive lineup front? Like how much of his reps are not about looking internally to his play and looking to commanding the offense, you know, in spite of the protection he is not getting? Yeah, and and, and game situations are so much different than practice. They just are. Even if you're playing a defense that's not as good as the one you go against in practice. Um, and I don't know, like, it, again, it goes to show you how good Trevor Lawrence was last year and our offensive line, as weird as this gonna, is, is going to be to say, was a lot better last year than they are this year. Um, and I think that's in part why he looked so comfortable in the BC and Notre Dame games. Um, he wasn't perfect, but he looked a hell of a lot better than he does this year. And I think that has to do with the personnel that was around him. Travis Etienne in the backfield, a, you know, not a great, but still better offensive line and wide receivers and Cornell Powell and Amari Rogers, uh, they would get out there and mix it up and block, you know, and commit to, to blocking. So 
I mean, I, I think know. what's what's likely happening, I, I agree with you on the point about practice and game speed being completely different. I think if DJ is he's not able to work on his footwork and his release timing and his wind up, like those are sort of things that are desperately and his timing with receivers. Those are the things he should be working on in practice. But if he doesn't have a center that can call out the necessary protections and you know the ability to read defenses and their their formations, that's likely what DJ is working on and trying to get in sync with his his offensive line during practice. So that is a trade-off. And you know, you almost to the point about Brandon Streeter, you know, yeah, how much did he do with TL and how much happened with Deshaun when they worked together? Um, you saw those guys regress in moments. What we won't know and what we didn't ever see is the type of tendencies those guys had that were potentially deficiencies that Brandon Streeter worked on with that. Right. And we, and we never saw it, you know, hit the field at all. So I, uh, I want to give Streeter the benefit of the doubt. I think, you know, I'm not, I'm not answering my own question from before, but I think you bring up a good point. Like that it's not like either CJ or Brandon Streeter have necessarily shown, you know, the inability to, to produce, it's going to be a matter of whoever the OC is and what their preferences are. And if they, I mean, I could see Dabo lobbying on behalf of the dudes that are on staff now, but um, that's going to ultimately come down to the key and whoever this OC is. Right. Well, and let's be honest, we, it, the, the entire offense would look better. The play calling would look better. DJ would look better. The running backs would look better if the offensive line could block and the wide receivers could block, but that's not happening. Let me ask. It comes down, it comes down yeah. to blocking. Well, Ben, let me stop you. Uh, Let's say Dabo hits the transfer portal hard. We fill in the necessary gaps. Jedrick Pennington puts another 50 pounds of muscle on. Uh, Cody puts another pinup calendar in his school locker from Dietrich Pennington. Um, you know, Tristan Lay pans out. Ryan Linthicum, those dudes are studs. Let's say the O-line is just a top five run blocking and top 10 pass protection O-line next year. Are you riding with the staff, the current guys on staff, coaching staff, to lead this offense into the ways of the future? Or do you think it's just time to get some new blood in there, new ideas? And it's, it's not just about the O-line in terms of the ceiling of this program to get back to top two, top three in the country. Yeah. Well, a lot of those guys you mentioned haven't even played yet. So do I think that this, you know, the, the coaching staff, Robbie Caldwell is going to whip them into shape and for them to be ready next year. No, no, no. I don't, I don't mean, can they make that happen with the O-line? Let's say Caldwell moves on, but everyone else comes back and we snap our fingers and all of a sudden the O-line's great again. However that happens. In terms of calling plays, managing an offense, you know, innovating, is this the staff that can get that done in your mind? Back to national title contention. I mean, that's, that's a good question. Um, and We've, we said it before, I've said it before earlier, um, the previous episodes this season, and, you know, Tony has mentioned it much, much responding to RG3's comments about the offense being archaic, has said, if the guys can't do the basics, you can't open up the playbook. And that's the fact of the matter. We've given Tony crap, you know, uh, the last several years for not opening up the playbook early and, and being a little vanilla. Now, when he has opened it up, it's looked amazing. I mean, look at 2018, right? Um, but yeah, I just, you can't, what, hold, yeah. it's, it's hard to, it's, it's hard to know. So I think you do have to start and address your main issue, which is winning in the trenches. And Clemson is not on the offensive side of the ball. 
coming anywhere close to winning in the trenches. And if you think that these guys will be better next year, well, that's what we heard about this year. And it's four games into the season. And one thing that that I am kind of like questioning Tony Elliott is another one of his uh, comments from his press conference, I think, today was that, well, going into Boston College, you know, we got to be prepared to, for them to do something weird like Georgia Tech did because Georgia Tech did it. And I'm like, you're just figuring this out now. Like, we're four games into the season. You know how bad the offensive line is. And if you didn't know they were bad in the fall, then were you have your eyes glued shut. Um, like, but at the same time, if they can't block anybody, run or pass block, like, I, I don't know what, I don't know what you do. I'm not a football genius here. Um, but when, when you can, well, you can do a few guys. things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and look, there's ways, and I hope to see this the rest of the season with this limited O-line move the pocket, roll DJ out. What happened on that second series when you rolled out touchdown Ross? So I want to, you're not going to get that every time, but. No, and I want to. I do want to mention something about that second drive. We all felt like after the second drive, we're like, "Oh, amazing! Well, maybe our offense is uh, improving." But <laughs> when you go back and look at that drive, there was the start off of the pass and got a Shipley missed a block. Um, then there was a wide receiver stream to EJ Williams that Galloway was trying to block on, and God, you know, bless his heart, that that kid, he he, he can't block. Okay, it, it's it, it's not going to happen at this point. Um, unsportsmanlike conduct um after that to move the ball downfield then there's a drop ball which was another nicely thrown ball by dj uh by bo collins and then there was the great throw and catch um by uh, dj to ross in, in the back of the end zone so there was like one good play and some penalties that, that got us down the field um so it, it wasn't a phenomenal it wasn't a great drive we just got lucky and scored a touchdown so uh, it's, it's, it's a mess. And the other drive, the other touchdown was a long DJ run, which, you know, critiques to NC state for not, for not covering DJ on that and not being in position. So two, two big plays and a few mistakes. Yeah. I am confident DJ will get better and can get better. If the offensive line play improves, if the offensive line play does not improve. And I'm not talking about like, for them, it's not incremental progress. So you need to make big, a big jump between this year and next year. I don't know how they do that, um, but that needs to happen. Then I think we can continue to see G- DJ get better. But, you know, if, if guys are in his face and we can't run the ball, so, you know, mm-hmm. teams are dropping eight, then it's it's just not going to happen. Well, and the thing is, Clemson, like Dabo, again, is like, man, we really like the guys we've got coming in and all that. And like, we're going to have some guys back. We're young, et cetera, et cetera. Like the numbers still aren't there. Like if you take, if you look at the percentage rates at which O linemen come into a program and stick and actually achieve that rate is so low. And you apply those to Clemson's number of bodies that they have at those positions. The math does not add up. It didn't add up this year. It really has not added up the last two to three years. It, roster so management that, has been a consistent problem with, with Dabo and this football team. We've seen it on the defensive line. We've seen it in the defensive sec- secondary. We've seen it on the offensive line. The answer is the portal because O-line is one, even if we take like six, seven O-linemen in this coming class, because we, Lord knows we've got the scholarship spots. Um, we just may not have the class spots. Even if we take seven, you're not going to get but one, maybe two guys out of that group that can play next season. That's where the portal comes in. That's where you get guys with proven 
talent, or at least, you know, they can slot in there and, and take on some reps and play at a college football level. Um, that's where, that's where it has to be addressed. Yeah. And I mean, the, the, the point of all of this is obviously something has to change. We have our opinions, our uneducated opinions on what that is, but ultimately it's going to be up to the head man um, who knows what he's talking about better than any of us on how to address these problems and how to fix them. Uh, but again, the bottom line is something is going to have to change if this coaching staff is back next year, um, pretty much wholly intact, then I don't think you're going to see any significant improvement and we're going to have similar feelings, um, at this point in the season next year. Yeah. And Ben, um, you know, we, we talked about how to improve, you know, the, the most glaring spot has been offensive line and a lack of NFL caliber talent. No teams are competing for natties without effective offensive line. Like Clemson has basically been the outlier, been the exception to the rule, um, punched above its weight more or less uh, for years in this front. And we, you know, can't take those natties away from us, but you want to win more. That is definitely an area that has to be addressed. Um, when it goes, I just want to go back to the offensive coordinator position. Chad Morris was not a proven established name when Dabo brought him in. Sure. I'm not, I'm not going to go back and stump for Willie Korn here. Um, but he's more proven than Chad Morris was at the collegiate level. So I'm all about, like, it does, it does not have to be Willie Korn. I'm not, I'm not him or bust on this, on this, on this spectrum here, but, uh, new ideas is the most important thing and kind of new, new blood in that, in that, that offensive coaching room. And, um, you know, I, I see that as almost like a one, a one B situation with addressing offensive line depth playmaker talent. It seems like they've made the right adjustments to address defensive depth on that side of the ball. And you you've made the point. We're pretty happy with our coaching staff on that side. So this is fixable. Like that's, that's maybe a message we want to get across here. Um, but it may take a reasonable amount of staff shakeup. And that's something I don't think Clemson fans should be worried about or afraid of. My question is to what extent is there the conviction there from Dabo to do that, especially if it involves an OC that he wants that maybe does want to see some of those other staffers move on as well. Yeah. And I would caution not to expect it to be fixed by next year, no matter what happens, no matter who you bring in. Um, yeah. At this point, we're, at least two seasons away from making it back to the college football playoff from the way things look now, because they just look so bad. Obviously we're going to have to see how everything plays out. Things change, blah, blah, blah. We can't predict the future. Um, but that's, that's, that's how it looks right now. That's how bad the team looks right now on the offensive side of the ball. I'm a little, okay, Ben, I, I know where you're coming from on that. Here's our schedule next year. The I, I, ACC. I already tried this at the beginning of the year and it didn't work. It's the ACC. <laughs> So yeah, the same schedule you know. playing this year <laughs> and, and Notre, Notre Dame. Dame. We do play, we, we do play at Notre Dame. So, um, I, I think it's a, it's a one-year blip. I do. Um, if the right changes are made, you get the right energy in. I agree with you though. If you're changing up offensive coaching staff it may take some time for them to gel, um, and, you know, really figure out all the pieces they may need to make a second coaching, like a, hopefully not a second OC change. But, you know, within that, you know, there may be components of that staff that don't necessarily gel and you got to make a move after next year. Like, I get it. So but get, all I'm get, saying is the talent, the talent is looking good for next season and recruiting classes continue to look pretty strong and positive. Um, it looks good on paper. So yeah. This year. 
It is. So, so let me, let me, let me ask you this question. So if Dabo does determine um, Dabo and the coaching staff do determine that the uh, development along the offensive line is the biggest issue hampering this team. Um, And there is a change with Robbie Caldwell stepping down, retiring, um, which I, I think is what would most likely happen. I don't see Dabo firing him. I think that's the agreement that they would ultimately come to. Um, and Tony Elliott doesn't get any great job offers. Um, do you go out and get a big time offensive line coach um, or somebody with, you know, at least some sort of a proven track record? I know we have Thomas Austin uh, sitting in the coach's uh, box, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe Tony Elliott stays and you get an offensive line that can block and he looks a lot better. But one thing I want to discuss with you, Ben, is so a couple of things. I actually was chatting about this with Alex Kraft today, right, right over at Shaking the Southland. There really are not those, and this is my phrasing, aspirational offensive line coaches. Like it's just not a reputed position across college football. Um, you okay. Let's go get Wisconsin's guy. Let's go get like, you know, a proven road grader developer. Uh, Wisconsin's O-line doesn't look great this year. Oklahoma's O-line doesn't look great this year. Those are two perennial top, top teams. I think it's a little bit also about you get that guy coming in here. Do we have the right um, quality and quantity of guys that that, that that coach, whoever they are, can actually do their thing? I'm not saying it's not possible. What I what I do want to throw back at you is a scenario where let's say all that plays out. Let's say Tony Elliott wants to stay at Clemson. He can't he's not able to find the head coaching gig or he has a change of heart on that career path for himself. Is there a world where Tony takes a pay cut in some regard and moves into a slightly different role and Clemson could actually bring in, you know, an outside mind to do the play calling, potentially in a co-OC situation? Um, is there just like a different configuration, a different role that these guys can play here? I, I think that would be a bit of a stretch for Tony yeah. Elliott to essentially take a demotion like that, right? He's he's too young for that. There's still enough left of the ladder to, for him to climb. Um, he could be a great college football head coach. He's been an amazing representative of university. He's done some great things for this football team. Nobody denies he's a he's a great guy. He's a thoughtful guy. Um, and he loves Clemson and he's been, you know, a big part of this culture and he can certainly take that and transfer it elsewhere. So I don't see him taking a step down, nor do I think he should. I, I think if the right opportunity does present itself, then his stock is falling and he should probably make that jump now while he can still salvage what's left of you know i guess his reputation when it comes to that or you know his you know other teams desires or his desirability well, as a head coach well let's talk about what what his brand has been and needs to remain as for him to secure such a head coaching position at let's call it middle to lower end of the power five or top end of the g5 um yeah maybe you do start to you know, continue this season to point to offensive line and injuries and um, just lack of continuity there. Like that can be the explanation for this Clemson offense falling off a cliff. Not necessarily, oh, Tony Elliott forgot how to coach or he was never actually that good at coaching. So I think protecting that brand and ensuring his ability to get one of those jobs, like that's part of the equation for the rest of the season. And 
we all do wish him the best. I think in that scenario I just laid out, it was more a matter of, is, is that his choice that, you know, is, does he want to be part of the resurrection here at Clemson and then move on to his next role? Could he do that in a different capacity within this coaching staff, within this offense? He could, I imagine there's maybe a world where that fits. I don't know the right configuration for that, but um, I'm just it, saying it's unconventional here already. The easiest path forward for Dabo not having to make the painfully hard decisions is for Tony to take another job, a head coaching job at a, a, a non, you know, group, a group of five school, maybe an FCS school um, for Robbie Caldwell to retire gracefully. Um, and then Dabo gets to install somebody new. The hardest part of that is if Tony Elliott doesn't find a job um, worth going to and Robbie Caldwell doesn't want to retire, then Dabo has to make the decision whether or not to let them go. And I don't envy that position. I don't care how much money he's getting paid. Like you, I mean, that because he is getting paid that much, like that is his job to make those decisions, but it doesn't make any easier letting your friends go, you know? Um, guys with families and guys who have been all in on Clemson and with you throughout this whole ride, that, that, that sucks. The money doesn't make that feel better. Um, but the money requires you to, to have to make those decisions, unfortunately. Listen, well, I think we've, be, we've I beaten I, to death. I wish we were great. Uh, I wish everybody was great and amazing and the, and the coaching staff could all stay and we'd be fine, but. Well, and just, just, just cause these guys were on staff in the, 2014 through 16 rise to that title and maintained through the 2018 title. And, and since then, you know, continue that streak of college football playoff runs may not necessarily mean that several years later that they're, you know, in tune to adapt to the future of college football. I think they could be, um, but it's just a matter of like, you know, there were pre 2021 signs of this offense, you know, when we did have the talent, yep leaving something to be desired in that LSU game, not going to ETN as much, or when Trevor struggled, not making those adjustments against Ohio state um, earlier that year, I, I thought it was brilliant. The move by Tony Elliott to move to the screen game to ETN and get Trevor involved in the run game. Uh, but just, you know, developing, and maybe again, this, this points to the number of recruiting, you know, number of scholarship players and skill positions, that kind of thing. Um, being, being hamstrung by the scholarship approach on the team, um, you know, not having as many options just increases, or I'm sorry, decreases the margin of error uh, for a team like Clemson in the college football playoff 2020, um, really both seasons, even LSU. And then against Ohio state last year, lack of depth on the defensive side um, and strategies around roster management definitely led to both of those seasons resulting in losses for Clemson. So there's just, there's kind of been after that 2018 title, a little bit of, you know, adjustments not made at the program level that again, we're sitting here in 2021 benefiting from hindsight, looking back at that stuff. But I think this year is the ultimate wake up call for Dabo. And, you know, it may not have taken us to get to this point where we're questioning getting rid of guys that have been the mainstays of this era. Um, if they had made just slight adjustments throughout time of bringing in new ideas and really having 85 scholarships of, you know, three-star and up caliber players. So, and going back um, to Dabo needing to be able to set the criticism, like you're the getting paid 9 million plus a year. Like 
you when you're getting paid that much, five, six losses a year, you ain't going to last very long. I know we think he has this extremely long rope, and he has a much longer rope than most people would, but he, he, I think he knows this too. You're gonna you're gonna have to make the changes, especially at, at Clemson. Like you can't, you're not gonna be a coach here and you know dwell in mediocrity for four or five seasons and, unless you coach baseball or um, basketball. Um, and I'm not saying that, that that's gonna happen to this program. I'm not saying that at all. I think Dabo, um, I think he recognizes that. I think he knows what's he knows what's wrong with this team more than anybody else. And you have to give yeah. him the benefit of the doubt that he's going to make the necessary changes. He's done it before. Um, everybody should be given the chance to uh, evolve their thinking and adapt to a changing landscape of college football that quite honestly, Dabo is not comfortable with. Um, but again, Nick Saban did it with their offense and Dabo. Well, I want to use I a different example. I think nobody yeah. would argue with the fact that Dabo is the, the second best coach in the last 10 years in college football. So everyone points to Saban, like totally valid. I don't, I don't think either you or I are asking Clemson to become the ex-coach halfway house, right? We're not interested in that. That said, bringing in new ideas is always good. I, one, one potential, you know, comparison or corollary here, like back when coach K he was against the one and dons, right? And then all of a sudden he flipped brought in one and dones and they beat Wisconsin for the title like the next year. Right. So he legendary coach, you know, established Duke from nothing into something forever. Most people listening to this right now, hate, hate coach K and Duke, whatever he, he fucking won deal with it. So I just think like it, yeah, it, like great coaches understand when their way is no longer the way and they adapt to it. Dabo's done it before you could, you could actually say twice, uh, you know, kind of back-to-back years to get Clemson to a championship level. And it worked. I think we're confident in that happening again. Ben, I think you could, you know, the alternative to that, let's indulge ourselves for a minute in that. I think you could say the last couple of years of roster management were culminating in this O-line and potential staleness with ideas on the offensive play calling. Call that strike one. If you fail to adapt this time, if you kind of roll the same ideas and mentality out there, call that strike too. And I don't know when that last strike would come after that. I think it would be a pretty, pretty short lived experience after that, probably only a couple more seasons. Yeah. And I want to go back to the point you made about, you know, us not being Alabama. We're so thankful that Dabo is nothing like Nick Saban. I've never seen somebody uh, um, be disappointed in success as much as Nick Saban. <laughs> like, for all the goofy, silly crap that Dabo does, like that's what we love about him. And he's just going to have to find another way to do things his way. And I think he's certainly capable of that. And and we do need well, Ben. To what we haven't talked about, well, yeah. What we haven't talked about here is like what could Dabo do if he embraced the transfer portal. And I'm not saying like all kinds of amazing tampering, although I'm here if we want to tamper. We'll tamper well, out here in California. We'll start to, start maybe with only taking like grad transfers or something like that. If you're if you want to put the education um, uh, and former former recruits that, you know, fit the culture. Like right. I know his first two like grapes off the board is 
valuing the education experience of players and not turning it into free agency and culture fit and ruining the culture of the team. If you bring in too many guys, what you and I are also not advocating for is bringing in 10 dudes from outside. You know, it's, right. it's those specific spots. And look right now, like maybe you do take 10 O linemen and see which four stick like that's fine. But I'm just saying, I do believe Dabo, you know, in a, in a, in a fourth, forthright way would find ways to innovate and make the transfer portal his own. I just wish he would have done that two years ago when when really the rest of the country started to adapt. And I, I think that's his biggest fault in all of that, in that he was immediately against it and didn't have an open mind. And you, you're going to have to have an open mind, especially when the other powerhouses are doing this. Well, and that's where Clemson having just Clemson guys on staff, I think can come back to bite you a bit. And um, look, ultimately it's his call, whether he had zero Clemson former players or guys that have been around for a while, like ultimately it, it lands on Dabo to make that call. But that's where I think starting to get a better mix or more even mix of outside voices and Clemson insider voices. I'm not saying Dabo has to go to a democratic coaching staff for every decision and strategy. He shouldn't. He's proven that his way is the right way here for the most part, but that's one, that's one mistake. And I hope he looks at that and is like, okay, maybe the next evolution that hits this sport, maybe I don't want to be in the tail end of that. And we don't know what it is, but maybe NIL. NIL is pretty nascent here, right? You mentioned that before. How can Clemson turn that into, it can quickly become a disadvantage when you think about how big our alumni base is and how many well-heeled you know, alums are out there willing to throw money at potential recruits. Like, let's make that at least something that we're not losing the game on. You know, we may not win the game, but let's at least not let it be a liability. Yeah, I think innovation is the key in trying to be ahead of the curve. Um, you don't necessarily want to be on the bleeding edge of technology or or, or change, sorry. Um, but you, do, you don't want to fall behind either. And Clemson has fallen behind, at least on the offensive side of the ball. Um, and we started to see those warts uh, within the past couple of years, obviously being masked by trips to the national championship game in the playoffs. Um, you know, you lose to LSU, your knee jerk reaction, probably for none of us was like, Oh my God, like the offense is in peril. Like there's so many glare weaknesses. We just saw a really damn good <laughs> offense out there for LSU. Maybe one of the greatest in the history of college football. Um, Last year, and I think we were like, "Oh, Tra Trevor had a bad game," and it yeah. wasn't the fact that we couldn't manufacture offense in a world where he does have a bad game. Or I, I remember questioning why we didn't pound pound ETN more in that game, but maybe we should have been asking that a, bit, a little bit louder. Yeah. Anyway, you're right. You know, hindsight is what it is. Um, yeah, foresight is a much better you know much better strength, and that's why you get paid the big bucks. Yeah. And Saban wasn't always, I mean, he's definitely made the right calls and part of it too, is their infrastructure of analysts that are out there and they just have, I mean, they, I don't know what the relative staff sizes are between Clemson and Alabama, but Ben, one of the, one of the points I wanted to make, and I think we should move on just to talk about like the rest of the season and our outlook here. Uh, one of the points I wanted to make is like, Further, the landscape of college football is about to change. In the next couple of years, ESPN and the SEC are going to renegotiate their 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 deal, and 
not sure if you knew this, Texas and Oklahoma are going to be in the SEC soon. So the size of those deals, the per school payouts, all those schools are going to be able to further increase their staff salaries, their analyst salaries, their facilities. And I just think like there's, there's an arms race happening really across the sport, but definitely when it comes to coaching talent and now with NIL player talent and with the transfer portal and free, essentially like free agency, um, there's, you know, there is a chance like Clemson Clemson's on the brink here a little bit in terms of being in the ACC as it's currently constructed. The Alliance could be interesting. Maybe more expansion happens. We will have to see. But uh, from there, I just, I feel like Clemson cannot afford to be on like the, tr- the tail end of things like NIL moving forward with those, those revenue stakes being what they will be. Well, and that's why I think it's critical that change happens after this season. Like you need to do it. You need to stop the bleeding now before it gets too far out of hand um, because it's going to affect recruiting. It's going to affect guys going into the transfer portal. Um, I'm not going to say Lynn J. Dixon is a result of that because we've heard there's a lot of stuff off the field with him. And um, it was just time to, to, to cut ties for, for both parties involved. Um, but because things are changing so fast and there are so many unknowns, um, you need to put yourself in the best position to succeed in an ever-changing college football landscape. Um, maybe that means Clemson moves to the SEC one day. Like that's not out of the question. Um, with all the money the SEC is going to be making with their ESPN deal, they'll be able to pay the the exit fee for Clemson. And Clemson is an attractive enough uh, a football yeah. team, despite how this year is looking, um, that the <laughs> SEC would probably welcome them uh, with probably some pushback from South Carolina, but screw them. Their voice doesn't matter in that league. No. Them and Vandy are along for the ride. That's it. Pretty much. Um, all right, Ben. Well, clearly a lot of clouds over the program right now. Um, we got sunshine in the past, hopefully sunshine in the future. I think the points we've made, just to <laughs> summarize here, um, offensive line depth and talent. And it's really unfortunate that some of the injuries came to pass because we might be in a completely different mindset right now. If Mason Trotter doesn't get hurt and he's able to be the center and he can anchor that and like stabilize the center part of that interior line. But I think that would, that would mask some of the more macro stuff that's gone on with this team about potential vanilla play calling and potential lack of development of players, the way they, they can and should be developed. So um, and just roster management and all those things. So I'm willing to to say that there can be a productive, tough season like this if it gets Clemson on track toward modernizing this team and getting back to innovation. So as painful as it, as it is to watch, I think it's something that that can be productive here and is probably some necessary change coming down. So um, but w- trying to, you know, make lemonade out of this situation. I think you made a good point earlier. We do need to take joy. We do need to support this team and these players because they are giving their all the rest of this season. Um, and also, like, I don't want these, you know, also ran ACC schools to get laughs at our expense. So uh, let's let's remind them who who the top of this conference is. I just I think it's going to be challenging to see this offense really figuring it out if they can't simplify the offensive line. Um, you know, maybe not, maybe don't run the most complex zone blocking schemes where you need like complete unison of your guys. How can you simplify that a little bit? 
Um, I don't know, man. Like, what was it? The Toronto Raptors went to that box and one like middle school basketball uh, play calls to beat the Warriors a couple years ago. Like, I don't know. Let's play simple football here. We've got enough talent. Let's see what see what can happen. What do we have to lose? Not much at this point. I think it's just the South Carolina game. I mean, we talked about the ACC championship appearance. I just I don't see us winning the division at this point. Um, I think there's too many losses left on our on our ACC schedule based on what we've seen so far and the really almost regression of the offense throughout the season. Um, Dabo's biggest. Um, his biggest task and probably is going to be one of the hardest things for him to do um, right now and for the remainder of the year is to keep his guys focused, keep his guys together to block out all the outside noise, which I guess technically includes us. I doubt they're listening. Um, uh, but keep T Potter listens. What's up, buddy? Yeah. Um, yeah. A waste of a great kicker too. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, and I think that's his task, and it's going to be a hard challenge because in the face of adversity, you know, things get tougher for that, and you start to see guys uh, kind of get down. And I mean, I, that's why I think that's why I say our part as fans is to continue to support them and realize again they're eighteen to twenty-two year old kids, uh, twenty-six in in, in Skalski's case, um, and we should Stand still show up and continue to support them. I'm going to be. At, I'm still going to be at the bar uh, out here in San Francisco every single weekend. Not that they'll know I'm there, but um, I will be there cheering on this football team through through thick or thin, win or lose, no matter how bad this season gets, I'm going to be there. And I would encourage all fans to do the same and get behind this team because, you know what, it, it may not uh, turn things around quickly, um, but – I think by doing so and showing support that it does allow us to kind of move on, allows the team to move on for this quicker. And just knowing that they have the, the fan base to support, um, it just takes one thing off their mind and allows them to focus on the job at hand and continue to try to get better. And hopefully that's the case. I mean, it's not for a lack of talent. Not that we want to get into too much of analysis and, you know, forecasting what we do with the remaining pieces on this team to have a successful season. Shipley's out for a little while. Uh, defensive interior D-line is struggling right now with injury. Decent amount of depth there. I think where possible would be ideal to get some of the youth into the game and build up reps for future seasons. But when I think about the running back game, Ben, I mean, it's a good opportunity for Darian Rencher, a leader on that offense, to get a little bit more involved. Uh, Kobe Pace, love to see him you know, continue to develop too. It's going to be likely those two guys. And well, Phil, Moffa's I'm really excited. To, Phil Moffa is up to second on the depth chart. Yeah. I was going to say like Phil Moffa is a beast in waiting. And I think the coaching staff was hoping that he could be able to red shirt this year, but um, it's, it's kind of seeing guys like that be able to have potential breakout moments. I mean, yeah, you know, that the, gives you excitement. We're, we're now living for yeah. it. Yeah. Gives you excitement for the future. Um, it, it makes things not seem all like the sky is falling. Um, and, and by the way, let's take ourselves seriously or not too seriously for a moment. The end of the day, if you're really this butthurt about it, I mean, I guess we're on here talking about it on a podcast. Nobody pays an hour it. plus in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, the end of that football game the other night, I took a shot of tequila and carried on with my uh, my evening. Um, so 
Mm -hmm. I didn't wake up all sad. I woke up disappointed and I'm still disappointed because I love Clemson football. Um, I I love, um, you know, the experiences we've had the last six years. Um, But at the end of the day, it is just a game. Um, So, you know, hold back your vitriol at the players or, you know, at the coaches. It's okay to criticize what you see. Um, But, you know, it's there's, there's more to life than this. And we've had a really great run, a run like no other in Clemson football history. And that's what that's what makes it hurt a little bit more, I think, is it's really just the shock of taking such a huge step back so quickly. But it doesn't mean we can't get back there and we won't get back there. You know, the reason it took so long between uh, Danny Ford and Dabo is just because of all the restrictions the program was was hit with. It wasn't an attractive place for a coach to come. It then became not an attractive place for um, players to come, but you know what? The fans were in the Valley every weekend um, and stuck it with it. And that made the last six years, even that much sweeter. Um, I'm not saying it's going to be that long again. Dabo is still the head coach. And um, I don't think we're going to have the same type of uh, violations we had in the Danny Ford era. Um, But, you know, it just takes some time to appreciate it too and not let it ruin your, your year. There's so many, well, and then you'll, so many other things happening this year to <laughs> the last couple of years to ruin your year. Don't let this be it. And I think the, all that said, I agree, Ben, we'll just make the further rise from here that much sweeter. Well, and one thing, Ben, that a lot of programs out there would kill to have is Clemson has that institutional alignment between its head coach, its athletic director and athletic department, president of the school and largely the fan base and the alumni and the boosters. And you talk to, you, know, you, you might say, oh, is this, the, is this the end of the era? Could be, certainly could be. I think we talked about a couple scenarios where that might be the case. Um, but I think if you have that continued alignment, that's the kind of thing that could prevent you from making a slide like Florida State did, like Miami, like Nebraska, like Michigan, some of those other schools. And I'm pretty sure all the people that were all in a few years ago are still all in. So that's why that that's what gives me hope. And I'm also fairly certain Dabo does want to be here to go out on his terms here with, with whatever era this becomes. Um, this in and over. <laughs> no, well, and Dabo loves nothing more than proving people wrong <laughs> and playing the uh, you know, you know, playing the the underdog and the people that nobody respects. And so now he has that opportunity again. Um, and yeah, you're you're totally right about the uh, you know, the the school administration. Um, is all, you know, Jim Clements is all in behind Dabo in this football program. And to boot, he knows the name of the university. Helpful. Um, okay, Ben. Well, BC's coming up. They're without Phil Dracovic. Maybe their offense will be limited. They got a really great wide receiver in Zay Flowers. We saw a little bit of him last year. They're a defensive-minded team under coach Jeff Halfley. That spells trouble for Clemson with its offensive struggles. Games in the Valley, hopefully it is a sold-out affair. Um, I understand people are probably like, man, I'm going to I'm gonna trudge all the way out there to see this offense play. I encourage you, if you're able to do it, please get out there and support this team. How many weekends over the summer and in the spring were you like, I cannot wait for football season? You get, frankly, this season, six bites of the apple to go to a home game. So I, if, I, if I were able to, I'm going to be in Chicago for a wedding, but uh, I would... I would be in Death Valley if I could. So 
Um, I hope we beat the Eagles. They're a solid team. They're four and zero now, Ben. After that Jerkovic injury, I, I think people expected them to drop to two and two, but they're feisty. Uh, would be a, would be a good way to you know at least show some progress by by coming up with a win in this game. I'm not even sure if I've ever predicted a Clemson loss. Now, part of that is homerism. Part of that is maybe against Bama one of those times. Maybe, maybe, maybe. probably, probably 2015. Yeah. Um, but after that, since then, I probably haven't predicted us to lose. Um, part of that is just because we've been that damn good. And we I mean, look, we haven't had that many losses. Um, I'm not feeling good about this weekend, Tully. Um, you know, yeah. I, I don't, the, the offense is not going to get that much better. Their defense is really good. And now we're down Will Shipley. We're also down Brian Brze and Tyler Davis will still be out. Skalski looks like he is cleared for practice starting on Tuesday, tomorrow. So I would, that's better. Honestly, but. at this point, I think that we've got enough on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and that's one thing we didn't talk about in this game. A lot of young guys played and a lot of young guys played well. The defense is deep and, you know, they stood up formidably, you know, even with all that attrition. So um, I'd almost rest Skalski, man. Like, unless it's something that just he's going to have to deal with all season because it can't heal in a couple weeks, then I don't, well, I don't know what ben, to tell you. We weren't going to do this. Let's take a minute. Let's acknowledge the play of guys in this game that, that fought their ass off and Clemson lost. And we should not have been one to two plays away against an NC State, but we were and we lost. Uh, Balen Specter, dude. Yeah. Total stud. He had a penalty at one point. I was pretty upset about it. But when you look at the breadth of, I mean, dude played 100, game, 100 snaps roughly on Saturday. Like, amazing performance from him. Levante Bentley stepped in uh, as he's on this season so far. He did a little bit last year, too. Trey Williams. He's, he's awesome. Yeah, Trey Williams. Uh, Rook has definitely been holding it down, you know, in the, in the middle part of that D-line. Andrew Booth continues to be a lockdown corner. He is so much better tactic tackler on on the edge there than uh darian kendrick uh was last year i saw rj mickens in there a lot with a lot of playing time i mean just and that's that's the thing between the defensive and austin offensive side of the ball the defensive side of the ball wants it like those guys lay it all out there and leave it on the field and you're not seeing necessarily that effort from the offense and that's why i say it's coaching i mean the coaches are the ones that selected these players and brought them in and are responsible for getting them um, you know, to playing at an elite level. And that hasn't happened on the offense on the defense. It's there, man. Um, and this is a deep defense and it is a shame that we're wasting this defense this year, but they're going to be really good next year too. Um, I just hope Brent Venable stays around. I think he will. Um, I don't think he wants to depart before we, we get another crack at it either. So we will see his, his boys still go to Clemson. That's true. And it's home for them. Um, all right. Well, uh, look, we love our Tigers in victory or defeat. Um, this was a tough one for them to stomach on the road. You hate to see the damn wolf pack get a victory at our expense. Can we take a minute? Like NC state did everything they could to lose that game. And I'm not just talking about the kicker. Uh, they were gashing us in the running game. They went away from that a lot in the second half and definitely, um, down the stretch in the fourth quarter. And I, like Clemson was handing them that game on a platter and we had we had every shot to win that game a couple times down the stretch. Um, didn't really deserve to. So I I don't know. I 
I heard a reporter, I read a couple things, Ben, about not one, but multiple callers into the Dabo show and a couple other kind of radio programs where NC State fans were upset that Clemson lost because they wanted Dave Doran to lose this one and ultimately get fired. Because they makes, think he's their Tommy Bowden. That, that makes me feel a little bit better, to be honest with you. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah. I yeah. mean, and that's that's what made it worse. Um, you know, you lose to to Louisville or Boston College, hell, even Syracuse. Um it's it's NC State is just so hateable because Dave Dorn is so hateable with all his antics in the past and then smoking a cigar on the field after the game. It's like, bro, you you didn't I know you I know win the division actually. I I know it feels good to finally beat Clemson, but you know who you beat? Like you're probably gonna lose again this year too. Um it's not a cakewalk for you just yet because you didn't I mean you you've 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 also lost to a team this year whose head coach thinks he's a pirate. So it's a long season. Wake's winning the division, Ben. They, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't, yeah. I would say if, if Jerkovich was still at Boston College, they would also be very high up there. I just don't see their offense at this point being able to put up that many um, points to keep winning. But, yeah, Wake Forest, um, we're back to the, I mean, Here's Dave Clawson again. It's lurking in the shadows, wait, waiting for Clemson to, to stumble down the mountain. And again, of course, we get them late, too. It seems like we always get wake in the last few. It, it, I guess we bounce around. We either get like first, first, second game of the season or like the last one before South Carolina. But it's late again. But whatever. It's probably going to be a meaningless for us, meaningful for them type of matchup. Um, well, you're going to be at the, at the alumni bar this weekend, watching the game, a couple other games of note, Arkansas, Georgia, and then Alabama Ole Miss. Then if you're rooting for chaos, see the problem for me is the chaos just makes me lament this Clemson season that much more. Cause I'm like, gosh, like if there's a ton of shakeup at the top of the sport, if we were only a little bit more stable on offense, it would be the natty would be there for the taking. But either way, we can root for that type of chaos to happen. I don't know. Between those two games, I think Georgia's going to win pretty handily against Arkansas. Uh, we'll see about Alabama Ole Miss, but Saban sure did look pretty uh, pretty confident tonight on the Manning cast of Monday Night Football. Arkansas may put up better, a, a better fight than we thought. Um, you know, when they beat Texas, I was like, okay, whatever. Um, but then to beat Texas A&M by 10 points um, – I mean, you got to give them credit for that. So I think yeah. that Georgia, Georgia, Arkansas game is going to be a, a very good one. Why the hell it's on at 9 a.m. in the morning or 12 noon um, beats the hell out of me. Um, and yeah, that old Miss Alabama, let's see what Bama's defense is made up uh, against uh, Lane Kiffin's offense there. So um, unfortunately we're left to watch SEC football to be entertained for the rest of the year because the, uh, the big 10 ain't looking that great. I mean, is Penn state sexy? no, Iowa sexy. Iowa? No. no. <laughs> Big 12, Texas, bleh. Oklahoma, and eh. Iowa State. Nah. Um, and then you're left with uh, Oregon in the Pac-12, who does actually look good. I'm married into an Oregon family, Ben. I guess I just got to watch the Ducks now when Clemson's not on. But yeah, it's uh, – yeah. I, it, 
this does have the makings. I mean, there's already been more losses of top 25 teams through this point of the season than any other year since they started doing the poll in the thirties. So it's exciting from that regard. Like, I don't know. Uh, 2014 was a pretty exciting year. That NIL parody, that NIL parody is already rearing its ugly head. I think it's a little bit more. You've gotten defenses to after a year where they were doing zoom meetings and stuff. Like you're, you're now starting to see defenses gel a little bit more. You've got a lot more like established, you know, fifth, six year seniors coming back to play. So it's an interesting year. Um, I don't know if that, I mean, it probably is going to result in Alabama winning it all, but you know, they, they've <laughs> yeah. looked a little bit vulnerable. Um, yeah. That one time against Florida, uh, who is also a very good football team. Right. I mean, I'm a college football fan. So it doesn't matter that, that Clemson is not doing well this year. I'm still going to enjoy watching college football um, and, and seeing how all this plays out. Rooting against the teams I don't like, like the Alabamas and the Michigans and the, and the Oklahomas, and then rooting for some, some underdogs that you want to see do well. Like, you know, now's, now's Cincinnati's year, man. Pulling for Cincy. Yeah. Iowa. Notre Dame this week. That's huge. Probably not fun to watch, but at least they're, they're a mix up there. Penn State. Got some skeletons in that closet. I don't think a lot of people are over yet. Um, But yeah, it's going to be an interesting season here. We might get multiple two loss teams in the playoffs. One of those will not be Clemson, even if we went out. Unfortunately, yeah, it would take quite the uh, quite the clicking of the team to to have a shot at that. But and a lot of other three again. That's that's why it's brutal. That's why it's brutal to see happen because that would have given us all kinds of margin for error. Um, I think what will probably happen is some combination of chaos, and then you're just going to see Alabama ride above the wave and kind of do the do what they do. But um, yeah, it's like you got to enjoy every week. Then you know if that's the inevitable march that we're running toward. So, uh, it's good. Could be good matchups this weekend coming up. October is such a great month overall for college football and sports. Like you really get into the, the meat of the conference matchups that are out there. So, um, I'm ready. Well, this year, more than any in recent memory, we're going to be paying a lot more attention or, or having to find our entertainment, watching other games. It's yeah, exactly right. Be... Like we're not watching to see who we might square off against. It's mostly, oh, who's good? <laughs> yeah. So who can score? Right. Who can score touchdowns? Yeah. Offensive touchdowns. Who am I going to be jealous of? Because they can score touchdowns. All right, man. Well, uh, that was, you know, one of the one of the more sombering, uh, one of the more somber, sobering shows that we've had to record here, Ben. But yeah, I'm not sure if I feel any better. It's all right. We should Don't have done have this. To. We should have done this laying on couches. <laughs> probably. I think we probably should have done some type of instant reaction show, even if we didn't publish it. So <laughs> I, I, I messaged, I messaged the group that um, <laughs> it's a good thing that when I got home from the bar on Saturday night, that I did not realize that I could, could, could do a podcast, publish and, and record, and publish yeah. it because it probably would have been thirty minutes of me. Uh, relieving myself onto the microphone because that's how I felt about the game. Yeah, it would have been tough. Um, 
but anyway, we did not do that. Maybe in a future season, we'll think about the instant reaction show situation for everybody's delight. But uh, thank you all for tuning in uh, to this show. You showed up for Clemson Tiger Tears. I guess you got what you came for. Um, we will be back. You know, I think we laid out a decent number of adjustments that could be made. But uh, ultimately, I think it, for us, it's about Dabo's got to make those tough calls. And, you know, some of his comments we've not loved, but I think at the end of the day, he deserves the benefit of the doubt that he will make the right moves coming up here. Um, I hope he doesn't lose his will toward that, depending on how the rest of the season plays out. But I think it's we're pretty much getting into lost cause territory on that yeah. front. And, and listen, here's the thing. If Clemson wins like 35 to three or seven next weekend, like we're going to come back on here and be like, well, I, I don't know. So a lot of improvement. You think we have a chance? That's the nature of the beast. Oh, <laughs> I, Ben, I think I need two weekends in a row of that to get. Well, to get you're going to get Boston College in a bye week, which uh, couldn't come soon enough. But yeah, and we get Syracuse, right? I yeah, I Cody, Cody and I did say two I did, data points. I did say last last week and, and the week before that. I was supposed to be giving it to six games into the season to really know um, what this team is. I'm pretty much <laughs> after four, I think I've seen all I need to see, but I gave myself that out. I'm waiting till right. six games before I declare the season dead unless we lose against Boston College. And then I, I mean, you know, wouldn't that be the thing, though, that the college football playoff committee can acknowledge things like injuries, you know, to, to certain teams, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. There's no fucking way, but there's no we'll injury. right there. If, if we rattle off a couple of uh, what about our center, Mason Trotter? Mason Trotter is not the answer. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, there's just too We're much. Fun. There's too much fundamentally wrong across the offensive line. It's like he's not going to be able to save us. No, you're right. You're definitely right. There's not even a weird way you can kind of squint and see a path. unless you're just seeing shit yeah um is there a chance clemson misses a bowl game no six wins i've seen teams six with like wins five in there in recent memories so you need yeah that's if so you can be five you can be five and seven if they have not fulfilled enough of the bowl slots with six win teams and you your graduation rate is high enough which clemson completely passes that test um Look, we should likely end of the season something like eight and four. Like maybe BC, maybe Wake. The rest of the games we damn well should win, but we haven't seen this offense out score an FBS game more than fourteen points in regulation. So uh, let's see these coaches. Get, let's see these coaches do what they get paid to do, and hope for the best. That's right. Yeah. Well, either way, even if we go two and ten, we will be here recapping these games. Uh, thank you all for listening. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, we're going to continue to call these how we see them. We'll get more data points. Hopefully you see some more successful Clemson football here. If not, we'll, you, know, you know where to come to hear us complain about it. So uh, really appreciate all our loyal listeners. It's been a fun run with Clemson at the top. Interesting times right now, but you know we, we, we do enjoy it and we do appreciate the listens. So uh, with that, Ben, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. And as always, go Tigers.